Hello, and welcome to the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and he still hasn't thrown out his Christmas tree. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Hey, hey, Shai, how are you? Rod, hanging on to Christmas, huh? I set it purposefully right next to the radiator, and I just let it dry out, and then I just wait till it sort of just collapses into a powder, and then I vacuum it up and bring it out with the trash. <laughs> What's new? How, how is everything going? It's going well. Just kicking it here. We survived the snow. I um, sent you some nice pictures of the blizzard. Yeah, it's exciting for me to see pictures of you East Coast people with the snow while I'm just gallivanting about on a 75-degree day. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you enjoy all the salt on your shoes and the shoveling and all that stuff. It sounds, yeah. it sounds great. It beats the monotony of 72 every day. <laughs> oh, those blue skies and sunshine on your skin. That's just, what monotony? <laughs> um, this is our first episode in 2022. Yes, I it think, is. I think we're establishing a tradition where we take January off. I think so. We yeah, did it, we did it last year. Did it we're, last year? Do it yeah. this year? Well, you know, we've been recovering from our, our New Year celebrations. So yes, it takes thirty-one days to recover and then to record the new episode. That's right. Yeah, and we have a very special episode today. What we've done for everybody is we are going to do a mailbag episode where we answer listener questions, and those questions, you know, they're coming in. But I've been alerted to the fact that some of you might not actually know how to contact us because you don't actually make it to the end of each episode. Yeah, I barely make it to the end of yeah, each episode, you're so I can't, I, I can't blame the listener. But some of the listeners, they don't make it to the end, and the end of the episode is where we give our contact information. So we're going to change things up in 2022. We're going to give you our contact info in the beginning of the episode. You asked for it, you got it. I would think that 80% of the listeners are still on from two minutes ago. At best, yeah. First, Rod, we're on all the podcast streaming, you know, networks, subscription services, whatever you call it. Yeah, well, yeah um, the places. Where we're, are we, Rod? Where can you find us? You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, and etc. Etc. You can find us on all the all the streaming platforms and all of them. Let's say you want to send us a question, send us a comment, tell us you like us, tell us you don't like us, whatever. We're into all that. How can the listeners get in touch with us, Rod? We may, and we may read your comment on the air. You can email us at astalavisa at gibney.com. That's H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y.com. Yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. We're going to do a mailbag episode. We're going to answer some questions that we received, questions sent directly to that email address. Mm-hmm. We've been sifting through the emails all of January to put together this wonderful episode for you. So, Rod, let's say we get right into the mailbag. Let's do it. Okay, first question. Carl from Brooklyn, New York says, loved your Dr. Evil Austin Powers episode. I was wondering if there are any immigration rules regarding bringing pets from overseas to the United States. What kind of red tape would Dr. Evil have needed to go through to bring his cat, Mr. Bigglesworth, to the U.S.? 
What a question. Interesting question. You know, a lot of people, when they want to come to the US on a work visa, they ask us, how do I bring my spouse? How do I bring my children? But pets are really important too. Mm-hmm. And people, if I was traveling abroad, I would want to bring my beloved cat with me overseas. And Dr. Evil, he was in love with his cat. And if everybody remembers Dr. Evil, the main villain in the Austin Powers trilogy, we decided that he had an E2 investor visa, but mm-hmm. he also had a cat named Mr. Bigglesworth. And he was really into Mr. Bigglesworth. Perhaps this clip will help the listeners understand how much Dr. Evil loved Mr. Bigglesworth. That makes me angry. And when Dr. Evil gets angry, Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset. And when Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset, people die! (laughs) So yet, Dr. Evil killed people when Mr. Bigglesworth got upset. He loved Not unlike life at your house, Shy, with your cat. Yeah, don't mess with my cat. It's not going <laughs> to end up well for you. So uh, real quick, while we're on this question, Shy, have you ever had to assist a foreign national in bringing a pet into the United States? I have not, actually. I have so. not either. And I haven't yet, but I would love to in the future. <laughs> Many people say that I'm more, I get along better with animals than humans. So I would love to facilitate the transfer of animals from abroad to the United States. That would be nice. And, and it sounds like you are well prepared to do that. You know what to do. What does it take? Yes. Yes, Rod. Thank you for asking. And Carl, thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, it was Carl who asked. It's Carl. It's Carl who asked. So <laughs> basically, the importation of dogs and cats and you know all animals, it's not regulated by the immigration services. It's actually regulated by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, also known as the CDC. It's an organization we all know well in these last two years. Yeah, in the last two years, we know the CDC. (laughs) So the CDC requires that dogs and cats be healthy upon arrival to the United States, and specifically that dogs are vaccinated against rabies, as evidenced by a rabies vaccination certificate. As a general rule, this is really interesting, there are no restrictions for bringing domesticated cats into the United States. Hmm. A general certificate of health is not required by the CDC for cats. Interesting. Basically, cats are just subject to inspection, and they may be denied into the United States if they have evidence of any infectious diseases. So basically, if your cat is healthy, you can bring your cat to the United States. If the cat doesn't appear to be healthy, the cat may be further examined by a a licensed veterinarian at the owner's expense. The only states where this doesn't apply is Hawaii and the territory of Guam, where any animal is subject to a locally imposed quarantine if you're going to try to bring an animal into Hawaii or Guam. But basically, cats are are fair game. That's really interesting. I was not aware of that. And uh, it's interesting that they draw that distinction, but I guess there are differences in some of the diseases that dogs have versus those that cats can get. I think you'll agree with me, Rod. Cats are cleaner than dogs, and this is more evidence about that. They're very clean animals. There was a Seinfeld episode about that. Well, Carl, (laughs) that was a really good question. We are very happy to hear from you. Please keep the questions coming. You want to take the next question, Rod? Sure, I will. So this next question comes from Tina from Whippany, New Jersey, and she writes, I never thought about what kind of visa Paolo from Friends had. What if he was married to Rachel, got a green card based on the marriage, and then Rachel separated from him? Could he keep his green card? 
This is another really interesting question and a question that comes up a lot in real life, isn't it? It is. I have certainly had this scenario come up. Individuals who get married, they get a green card and then divorce shortly after the issuance of the green card. Yeah. And just to remind everybody, so in season one of Friends, there was a character named Paolo, an Italian long-haired man. Should have been played by Antonio Banderas, but that's another conversation. Um, (laughs) He didn't speak any English and he was dating Rachel. And we talked about what kind of visa Paolo might have had. But I guess the question is, let's say Rachel and Paolo fell in love, they got married, but then Paolo had some transgressions and Rachel and Paolo got divorced. What would happen? But I think we should just bring everybody up to speed on what kind of person Paolo was. He was hitting on Phoebe. So that's right. You could see a situation where the marriage with Rachel, if they did get married, didn't work out. And, sure. and just to remind everybody. Buongiorno, bella Phoebe. Paolo, hi. What are you doing here? Uh, Raquel, tell me you massage. Yeah, well, Raquel, that's right, yeah. Mi sono svegliato stamattina con mal di schiena, mal di spalla. Oh, okay. I don't know what you just said, so let's just start. Uh, I am uh, being naked. Um, that's really your decision. I mean, some people prefer, you know, to take off. Oh, whoops! <laughs> Be naked. So that's Paolo just casually getting naked in front of Phoebe, <laughs> waiting right. to hit on Phoebe. But sure, let's get into it, Rod. So what yeah. happens? Let's say Rachel and Paolo were married, but then they got separated or divorced. Could Paolo end up getting a permanent green card? So I think as we discussed, as we touched on, I think before, if you get a green card through marriage, just as a, as a refresher, if you get a green card through marriage and you know, if you get a green card right after you get married, for example, if the marriage has been less than two years of duration, you're issued what is called a conditional green card, which is valid for two years. And the reason for this, this is a law that was changed, I think, in the 1980s. And the reason for it was to confirm the bona fides of the marriage, to make sure that the marriage is legitimate, that it's not entered into solely for immigration purposes. So you always hear stories. The movie Green Card, of course, touches on this. And you hear stories about people who get married just for the green card, what we call in immigration law, sham marriage. So what happens is after that two-year period is up, the government sort of comes in and takes another look to make sure that the marriage is legitimate. They ask questions and they, you know, they do an interview and then they look at, you know, you have to basically prove the case, prove your marriage is legitimate a second time. In the event that people divorce or separate or choose not to continue the marriage during that two-year period, it can definitely pose some challenges to that removal of the conditions, what we call it. So when that two-year period is up, the individual will still have to apply to remove the conditions to get the regular full unrestricted green card. And they're just going to have to explain what happened. And they might get some affidavits from friends. You know, they can still show that the marriage was entered into in good faith. And that's really the important part is that it was a legitimate marriage at the time it was entered into. And, you know, the law is very clear. It says that foreign nationals can't be held to a higher standard that American citizens or lawful permanent residents are held to. So, you know, marriages don't always last forever. Sometimes they last for a short period of time, and it is still possible in the event of a dissolution to continue with the green card. Right. So basically, it all really depends upon whether or not the marriage was entered into in good faith. And even if people separate, divorce, 
as long as they could prove that the marriage was entered into good faith, the person could still get a permanent green card. So Paolo might not be out of luck. Might not. Yeah. Rachel made a good decision by not taking her relationship with Paolo any further because that guy was kind of a sleazebag. It seems like he was. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. The, the one episode. Of the or show or as seen. Ross said, a crap weasel. Uh, yeah. Right. Which is a very common. Everybody. Common Everybody in 1995 was using that term, apparently. <laughs> I, I know I sure was. <laughs> <laughs> While drinking OK Cola. While drinking OK Cola. <laughs> so, OK, this next question is from, I can't make this stuff up. This is from, <laughs> this is from Pure Chulo from Miami, Florida. And Pure Chulo from Miami, Florida writes, I think Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid had a green card based upon his marriage to a U.S. citizen. How can you be so sure that he didn't? Interesting. This is All right. aggressive, aggressive. Very uh, aggressive question. from Pure Chulo. Okay, Pure Chulo. So just to bring everybody up to speed, we spoke about a classic 1980s movie called The Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi was an Okinawa-born maintenance man who was also a karate master who was living and working in the United States. And he was the, basically, mentor for Daniel LaRusso. And Mr. Miyagi, we tried to figure out what kind of visa status he had. And, and Mr. Miyagi was married at one time. Well, let's have Mr. Miyagi tell us about his situation with his wife. When we celebrate your anniversary, whose anniversary? Is this your wife? I don't know you were married. Damn beautiful, don't you think? Yeah, she's pretty. Oh, first time I saw her was Kingfield, Hawaii. Beautiful. Damn good King Karatu. Hmm. Where is she now? Drink, drink. <laughs> Teresa, huh? Look, look. Hey, hey. First American born Miyagi waiting to be born. So we found out from Mr. Miyagi that he met his wife in the cane fields in Hawaii. She was pregnant with the first Miyagi that was going to be born in America. So we know that Mr. Miyagi's wife was not born in the United States. Now that doesn't necessarily mean she couldn't have been a citizen, but assuming that Mr. Miyagi's wife was the same age as Mr. Miyagi, you know, give or take a few years here and there, there's no chance that she could have legally come to the U.S. and qualified to be a citizen. And therefore, Mr. Miyagi's marriage to her could not have been a situation where he got a green card based upon marriage to a U.S. citizen. We spoke about how the Immigration Act of 1924 basically barred all immigration from Asia, including Japan, and that law was the law of the land until 1952. Yeah, so basically the rationale that we, what we spoke about in that episode where we said that, you know, unfortunately, there just was no avenue for Mr. Miyagi to come to the United States at that time that would have applied to his late wife as well. Right. So, you know, Pure Chulo, thank you for challenging us. Thank you for trying to, you know, get us. But 
we're the immigration attorneys here and we we're big big connoisseurs of the karate kid and immigration law we combined it together we did our research and we presented the truth so yeah, that's final there we go there we go and seal it with a kiss done but pure chulo please write to us again in the future we'd love to hear from you <laughs> and thank you for writing in pure chulo coming up next we got another question here i've got one from suzanne from chicago and she writes, The White Lotus was one of my favorite TV shows of 2021, and I was thrilled to see you cover the character of Armand. I was wondering, after somebody on a visa passes away, like Armand did, does anybody have to tell the U.S. immigration authorities? Wow. Suzanne from the Windy City, another great question. We hope don't we don't it. have to. Yeah, we don't, don't get it, really. We hope we don't have to run into it. So. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. So, so basically in certain visa statuses like h1b for instance when somebody is terminated either they voluntarily resign or they are fired the company has an obligation to tell the authorities that that person is not working for the company anymore but i don't think the regulations are very clear or even specify if the situation remains the same if somebody passes away is there an obligation for the employer basically to tell the immigration authorities that one of their employees has passed away? And just to remind everybody, Armand was the hotel manager at the White Lotus, a property in Maui in Hawaii. Unfortunately, because of his rivalry with a very snobby guest, he was killed by the snobby guest. He was stabbed. Spo spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the, the spoiler usually comes before the reveal, sure, but what, yeah. whatever. The right. show is old enough at this point. If you haven't seen it, sucks for you. Dang. <laughs> but so, yeah, Rob, he was, what do you he was, think? He does die. Yeah, so an interesting question. We, we decided you know, I, that Armand had an E3 visa, which is a, a specialty occupation visa for Australian nationals. For Australian nationals. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, depending, there are two ways to get it, depending on how his E3 was was obtained, sometimes the general rules to go to the embassy and apply for the E3 directly at the embassy. Overseas. Cons overseas. overseas right. Consular post, he probably applied for it in Australia. Although there is a way to file with the Immigration Service in the United States and you get an approval notice. In that case, if you filed with the Immigration Service, that's that regulation you were talking about that requires a withdrawal, you know, that H-1B, the service center petition. And I think you're Right. I haven't, you know, looked at that regulation in this context, but I think you're right that the regulation just says that on termination of employment, you should withdraw the right. petition. I might advise the company, you know, it might make sense. It might not hurt to drop a letter to the immigration service to advise them and to withdraw the petition. It's hard to say whether or not it's absolutely necessary. It's something that I'd want to research, but it's, it's a tough call. I mean, you know, to tell them they have to yeah. go ahead and drop this letter in the mail I, because their employee has passed away. I think the prudent thing to do, the straight laced thing to do, probably, if you are employing an H-1B employee or an E3 employee, and unfortunately her employee passes away, I would probably counsel my client to write a letter to the service center to let them know that the employment is no longer in effect because of the passing. Yeah. If you look at it this way, a foreign national, someone who's working in, say, E3 or H-1B status, if they move, they're required by law to advise the immigration service of the change of address. That's true. So that is true. I would think it might make sense that the immigration service, if they want to know where you're living, they might want to know whether you're living. That's, so that's a good point. In the, 
in the event that someone passes away, I'm thinking, you know, the more I think about it, it's probably, mm-hmm. like you say, the prudent thing to do. Have you heard, Rod, they're going to do a season two of The White Lotus and um, it's going to take place in Italy. The White Lotus property is going to be in Italy. Oh, then that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, en- I quite enjoyed season one. I, Anyone I, who's interested in our thoughts can go back and listen to the white lotus episode where we're going to miss armand he was a great character certainly and yeah absolutely armand was fantastic i I hope they can come up with someone else who's just as compelling maybe they'll cast you perhaps perhaps you've got big phil's shoes to fill but uh i think you could do it phil's shoes (laughs) anyway suzanne from chicago thanks for the question yeah thank you I'm i'm gonna get right to our next question Here we have Adina from Vancouver, Canada. Adina says, this is a good one. You are my favorite podcast ever since the Hockey Today podcast was canceled by those fools at ESPN. Anyway, could Furio (laughs) from The Sopranos have changed status once his H3 training program ended? How typical for a Canadian to mention hockey in a question. Sure. Um, So to give... Everybody, a recap. We talked about the Sopranos. We talked about the um, enforcer in Tony's crime family known as Furio, who came over from Italy. And just to give everybody a reminder, Tony first met Furio in Italy. Anthony Soprano. Eh. Io sono Furio Giunta. Oh, hey, how are you? Piacere. Piacere. Uh, this is the friend of ours, Selim, been talking to. Oh. This is Paulie. So... After they meet in Italy, Tony is so impressed with Furio that he he brings Furio over to the United States. And we talked about what kind of visa Furio would have needed. Rod, we landed upon the H3 trainee visa so that he could work in Artie's restaurant, right? Yep. That's the one we talked about, sure. Right. Yeah. So Tony, um, he, he fixed some things with uh, Furio's visa status, and he was an H3 trainee at uh, mm-hmm. Artie's restaurant. So basically, the question from Medina is, if somebody's in H3 status, can they change to another status once the training program ends? So, so, so Rod, you want to tackle this one? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a bit of a complicated question. It's pretty technical. And at Us La Visa, baby, we don't like to get too far into the weeds on these sorts of issues. So just like sort of in the, real life. The broad brush strokes on this one just to sort of you know address it. So to touch and recap a little bit on the H3, The purpose of the H3 training visa is to bring an individual for training in the United States. Inherent in that request in bringing the individual over is that the training is not available overseas. So the purpose is to bring someone to the United States to train them up for employment overseas. So for Furio, we're saying that he was brought to the United States to train in an Italian restaurant so he could one day take those skills and go back to take Italy. those skills. Out. And, we, and, and we addressed that that was certainly a problem to be dealt with in this. And that, that was one of the challenges that we were talking about for NH3 for him. So there is certainly a way, you know, it, it, the idea of changing status and remaining in the United States does run a little bit counter to the rationale behind the H3. But as you've seen, Shai, and as I've seen, you know, plans change sometimes drastically. Plans change for the employees of a company, the trainees, sometimes the employers, their plans change, bring someone in for program A, they decide they want to put them in program B. So it is indeed possible to change status. There are some specifics. If you've been in the United States in a different status before, there's some restrictions. There are even some restrictions that will require the individual to part the United States for a period of six months before coming back. All that has to do with time that's spent in the United States previously to the H3. 
So in this case, Furio had not spent any time in the United States. So none of these rules would really apply to him. So in theory, if he were to find an offer of employment and a company willing to sponsor him, he probably could have changed status to something else, provided the requirements of the new status were met. So basically, you got to look at these situations on a case-by-case basis. There's Mm -hmm. not a rule that's going to apply to everybody in every situation. You got to look at the person. And for Furio, he probably would have been able to change to another immigration status if he was qualified for another status. Correct. And with his temper, I'm not sure that many uh, employers would want to employ him. Yeah, I would probably shy away from it. Unless it was Carmelo. Unless, unless it was Carmelo looking to, to maybe uh, hire him as a landscaper or interior time, yeah. decorator, landscaper, assistant. pool boy, pool whatever. Boy? Yeah, Carmelo fancied Furio, didn't she? Car- Carmelo certainly did. So anyway, yeah, I think that answers that. Adina, thank you so much for the compliment. Yeah, so you know, sorry that your hockey podcast was canceled, but you know, I, th- I think yeah. we can take the place of of any hockey podcast. Sure, or we could try to learn about hockey and start our own hockey podcast. Yeah, I know, I know some of those teams. Yeah, I went to a hockey game once, so and I've seen <laughs> seen some Canadian movies. So, yeah. and our next question is from the opposite side of the world, not from Canada. Rod, you want to take this one? Sure. Yeah, can do. The Sandeep from Mumbai, India, wants to know if you could change one thing about U.S. immigration law, what would it be? Wow, that is, a, that is an excellent question. I mean, there there are a million things I think that you and I would both like to change about immigration law if we could. But yeah, if there's one thing above all else, what would it be? Shy, what you wanna you wanna go first on this one? Sure, sure. There's a lot of things about U.S. immigration law that I would change. I was thinking about this long and hard, and I I think right now, for what I'm dealing with, I think the one thing that I would change is I would try to find a way to eliminate these extremely long backlogs for certain foreign nationals of certain countries to get green cards. So basically, if you're born in a country like Mexico, India, or China, and you're sponsored for an employment-based green card, you are going to have to wait years and years and years to actually get the green card. Many more years than somebody who was born in a place like Canada or Australia or anywhere in Europe. These are really long backlogs. It seems kind of unfair. It doesn't seem like somebody from China who's sponsored for the same role as somebody from Germany should have to wait 10 more years to get a green card. But that's the way the laws are right now. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know exactly how I would do it, but that's where I would start. Mm. That's good. And every day we're confronted with those those issues. And that's why it was on my mind because I'm talking to people every day who have to deal with these wait times and it's really hard. Yeah, India and China specifically are very, very long waits. You know, we're hoping for a little bit of relief in 2022, but it's difficult. Yeah. The way the law is written. What laws would you change? <clears throat> mine was actually along the same lines because, and mine was, I guess, a little bit broader and not as probably would even encompass maybe parts of, of your idea. But mine is really just, I think immigration law does kind of a disservice to itself the way it's written because it, along the lines of the green card backlog, it treats people differently based on the country of origin. Right. Right. So for example, almost across the board, regardless of whatever visa you're applying for, when you apply for the actual physical visa in China, you're given a visa that's valid for one or two entries and it's valid for one year. Right. But if you're a UK national and you apply for the same visa in the UK, it's valid for maybe three years with unlimited entries. Right. Um, the Department of State does this because 
they are mimicking what visas are available to Americans in that home country. Mm. So the UK government provides better visa options for American citizens than the Chinese government does or more favorable visa options. So we provide in kind more favorable. It's called the reciprocity principle that the Department of State maintains. I just feel like you know, you're punishing individuals for the acts of their government in that, you know, it makes life extremely difficult and stressful for a lot of individuals. For sure. That disparate treatment, you know, there's another classification called TN, and mm -hmm. I know you're very familiar with that. It's available, it's from the old NAFTA uh, right. treaty, it's available to Mexicans and Canadians. And, you know, for a long time, the Mexicans were required to have a visa in order to enter the country when Canadians were not. Right, and, right. Know, this a lot of disparate treatment that comes up yeah. in immigration law. And I think the one thing I would change would be that, to your point, I think we both agree on the basics. You should not be disadvantaged from an immigration standpoint just because you come from a specific country. Right. Maybe it's, you and I seem like we want more equality just because you didn't choose yeah. where you were born. It's not, it's <laughs> exactly. not right to have different standards for different people from different countries. So Rod and I want more equality in the U.S. immigration mm -hmm. system. There you go. We don't know how to do it per se, yeah, but, no, but that's not, what a, we, not a clue. <laughs> not a clue. It's very <laughs> difficult. Yeah, um, but we can we can all write letters to Congress. Yeah, Sandy, sure thanks for your question. Yeah, thank you, Sandy. Rod, I have a good question for, for you. You might know this sure. guy. Peter from Hamburg, Germany writes, Roderick, do you have any updates on my case? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Peter, yes, it's in process and we'll be in contact in the coming days. <laughs> I guess Peter hasn't found a way to get in contact with you, so we thought he'd write in. That's right. I have been. Yeah, I think I saw your email from a couple of days ago, Peter. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let me check my inbox. Sure you did. Sure you did. I'll get back to you. Uh, Rod, why don't you take the next question? <laughs> sure. Next question. Michael in Lexington, Kentucky. All right. It says, you guys seem like pretty well-rounded fellows. Outside of immigration, movies and television, what are some of your hobbies? Michael, you are correct. We are very yeah. well-rounded. We are. What an astute uh, listener. Yeah. I mean, OK Cola, one of my big hobbies. Yes. And love of the 90s, I, th I know, is one of your big hobbies. <laughs> For real, I'm into sports. I love basketball. I'm a huge New York Knicks fan. I'm a long-suffering New York Knicks fan. I love music. I like to travel. COVID has kind of hurt my ability to travel. I like to cook. Since I moved to Los Angeles and I have all this outdoor time, I like to do some gardening now. I like to play tennis. But yeah, I am well-rounded. What about you, Rod? There you go. Besides I, I the took, OK Cola and the 90s. I took tennis lessons as a kid. I have not played in years. I should probably give it out give that a try again. I used to, before COVID, I mean, everything's a, a lot different now. You know, before COVID, uh, a lot of the same things. I love to travel. I have a lot of museum memberships in and around New York. And so I used to spend a lot of time going to museum exhibitions and the Met, the Brooklyn Museum. That's why you always have so much to talk about. The MoMA, you know, our office is very close to the MoMA. So I used to really enjoy doing going to those places. And then uh, COVID has kind of made that a little bit difficult. But I'm less so into the sports, shy. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I know. But one of the things that you and I have learned about each other through our podcasting is that both of us separately are actually really big watch enthusiasts. We both we are, really have yeah. a, a fondness for wristwatches. We do. And I would say probably... For anyone who wants to know more about the two of us and how we <laughs> spend our time together, our conversations involve this podcast or watches. Yes, we uh, like sending really. pictures of watches we to send, each other and saying, yeah, would, you send, we, <laughs> would you get this? Would you get this? If you won the, the lottery, money, yeah. would you get this? That's right. Yeah. So 
that is a hobby that we have in common that we both quite enjoy and that we share together uh, pretty frequently. I'd say we, we send a couple of texts back and forth per day on watch matters. And when you're not working on Peter from Hamburg's case, of course, that's when we send the... That's, the yeah, send, uh, yes. yes. Right. right. Yeah. You, right. Should I buy this watch? Hold on. Peter is on the, on the line. To, yes. I'll finish this email to Peter first and then get back to you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Michael from Kentucky, we are well-rounded. We like a lot of different things and hopefully you keep listening and you'll learn more about us. All right. Next question. Jenny from Omaha, Nebraska writes... I love how you have made immigration law so relatable. I am constantly finding myself thinking about what kind of visas characters from movies and TV shows would need. If you could hang out with any one character from the episodes you've done so far, who would it be and why? Wow. Man, these questions are on fire. Yeah, this is a fantastic question. Should we kind of like throw a couple of characters out there and talk about it? You know, maybe we can land on... on This is hard. Maybe we should do maybe a process of elimination. We'll talk about some characters and, and see if that's a person we would want to hang out with or not. Sure. The very first person that comes to mind, just because we were talking about him earlier tonight, was Mr. Miyagi. Oh, you know, yes. I, I've always had a fondness for Mr. Miyagi. Mm-hmm. I think in the, in the episode, right, you said he taught all of us about balance. We all learned about mindfulness, basically a lot of core Buddhist principles. I learned he, where Okinawa was. He, sure, definitely did, yeah. And all about the history of it. But, you know, I think, you know, Mr. Miyagi imparted, when we saw these movies when we were young, to a whole generation of, of people sort of imparted concepts of patience, patience balance, wisdom, and, and those patience, balance, wisdom, all those sorts of things. And those are things that I probably didn't put into practice as a child. But <laughs> as, as I've grown older, I've come to appreciate those concepts and incorporate them into my life a lot more often. I remember we talked about whether or not he'd be a fun drinking buddy. Oh my God. Um, if we know he's, anything. He's an, em- uh, from, he's an emotional the, drunk, yeah. as we heard in the clip. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about Mr. Miyagi? A I think fun, that a good, if, a good guy to hang out with. If I was looking for a mentorship type of relationship, there are nights when you know you just want to talk to somebody and get their perspective about things. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi is the way to go. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking Mr. Miyagi would be a really cool guy to hang out with. There are definitely characters I would want to stay away from. I don't want to hang out with Furio. His temper and his violence towards other men in particular, uh, I don't think I'd fare well with him. Hans Gruber from Die Hard, uh, <laughs> really smart, suave guy, but again, kind of a sociopath. Yeah, I feel like he's probably charming and interesting if he's not actively engaged in terrorism. Maybe but, at a museum, uh, like if you met him at a museum and you could talk sure, about art yeah. with him. That's right. Yeah, go to an opening at a gallery. I'm sure he'd, yeah. be, he'd be fun to talk to. Or even if you need a new suit, have him tag along to a fitting or something like that. That'd he be would probably be interested in our watch hobby. He would probably I go be, with I, us. I bet he would probably, we could probably start a group chat with him. Yeah. And expand and our, our group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, he'd be okay. But yeah, again, he's a criminal. He's going to be, you know, he's a dangerous yeah, guy. Yeah. Um, but now that we're talking about dangerous guys, you know who would be the most fun hang? It's definitely Armand from The White Lotus. Absolutely, Armand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Armand. Armand is, I think, by far and away the person I'd, I'd most. You want to go out and have a good time, Armand. Armand you want to have a few, a few drinks at the bar. You want to let loose. Oh man, Armand is the guy to do that with. Yeah. He in the beginning of the series when we find him, he's in recovery. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, to really 
cut loose and have fun with him, you have to be there and be part of his falling off the wagon. But, um, <laughs> we're not encouraging anyone out there to fall off the wagon. We're not encouraging that, but we love you know, sobriety. And um, when, yeah, that's true. If, if sobriety is your choice, we support you fully in that. But if you do care to give up on that and want to go out, We'll be there for you. Legal, all legal, <laughs> legal substances, of course. Legal substances, only. all legal right. substances, of course. That's yeah, the Asta Livisa Baby podcast. If we believe in anything, it's the law. That's right. Big we, sticklers yes. for the law. We are big stickers in the law, but yeah, sure. Armand is a fantastic character. Really fun, really enjoyable. Even while he's sober, he'd be great to hang out with. So Jenny from Omaha, I think we're going to say that the two characters we would want to hang out with are for a good time, Armand, and for some wisdom and some deep conversation, Miyagi. Yeah, I think so. I agree with that. And those are all the questions that I think we're going to have time for in this episode. Um, We did receive more questions. Perhaps we'll do another mail. You know, we will do another mailbag episode again. We certainly will, yeah. And, Yeah. And we'll get to your questions. And again... If anybody forgot, Rod, how, how do you get in touch with us? What's our email address? Well, the email address is astalaviza at gibney.com. And that's H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y dot com. And I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, somebody either forced you to, or for some reason you really like it. But in any case, you're probably on some sort of streaming platform right now. But just in case you aren't for some reason, Rod, what are the streaming platforms? Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, and etc. We should start a, a streaming platform called etc. I think it's perfect name for any business. <laughs> We're going to do something interesting now. In 2022, we want to have some more uh, feedback from the, the listeners out there. We're gonna, we want you to help us decide what character to cover in our next episode. Mm-hmm. So we decided on what movie we're going to cover. But there are so many foreign nationals that are in the United States in this movie, we're not sure which one we want to cover. So Rod and I, big James Bond fans, we decided that it's time to do probably the greatest James Bond movie ever made, Goldfinger. So we're going to do Goldfinger, but there are a few different characters we could focus on. Rod, we could focus on James Bond himself. James Bond himself, yeah. We can focus on Goldfinger, the villain. Mm -hmm. We can even focus on Goldfinger's manservant. Named Oddjob? Henchman, manservant, manservant, uh, chauffeur. He's he's a jack of all trades. Oddjob. Oddjob. So three people we have to sort of think about, and we thought it would be interesting to get some audience perspective on who would you like to hear about, and we can shape it that way. Right. So we're doing Goldfinger. Your choices are James Bond, Mr. Goldfinger, or Oddjob, the henchman. Whichever one you want, that's the one we're going to do. And if you want us to do three episodes, I think we can talk about that movie for three episodes. We probably could. We could talk about that movie long after everyone else has stopped listening. We might even talk about what kind of watches James Bond wears. I think it'll come up. (laughs) It'll come up. (laughs) We'll have to try to limit that. I don't think people (laughs) will tune in for that, but you never know. Anyway, thanks for everybody again for all the questions. You've got questions. We have answers. We can't wait to see you in March for our Goldfinger episode. Let us know who you want us to do. And until next time, hasta la vista, baby. 